This week on the Recruitment Flex, Facebook for Jobs is officially dead. The question is, was it ever alive? ChatGPT makes us wonder if robots will actually replace humans. And are you turning off 75% of your candidates because your application process is not mobile-friendly? Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge. And as always, joined by Shelly Billinghurst. Shelly, you look great today, but you always look great. Thank you, Serge. I had meetings this morning. I dressed up. You've got your blazer. Yes, I know. And there you are in your hoodie as per form. Are you going anywhere? No, no. These are like Zoom meetings or Teams meetings. What pants are you wearing? Are you wearing pants? <laughs> yes, I am wearing pants. I actually have jeans on. You'll be very happy. Yes, I have jeans on. Not sweatpants, not pajama pants or yoga pants. I don't like hard pants. They're not. Listen, the really good quality ladies' jeans, they don't look like it, but they are as comfortable as yoga pants. Okay. That's how they're okay. making them these days. I'll take your word for it. Hey, Shelly, this week I sent you our Spotify rap, which is such a marketing genius by them because everyone's Mm -hmm. sharing it and they're sharing their own personal music taste, which I wouldn't share because I share my Spotify account with my kids and wife. I think number one by far on the personal listening to music was Taylor Swift by almost quadruple anything else. And I'll admit, I've listened to Taylor Swift. I quite uh-huh. enjoy Taylor Swift. I'm a fan. My wife's like, oh, I can't wait to bring Mallory to a Taylor Swift concert. I'm like, hey, I'm going too. I'll be there. When Brooke was Mallory's age, it was all about Katy Perry. Okay. And Katy Perry did come to Calgary. And Brooke and I went. And she put on a really good show. It's almost like Vegas level entertainment show. Lots of big props and stuff. Like it, it was really well done. It's a great experience for sure. Yeah. Mallory's a big fan of Katy Perry as well. but. Mm-hmm. Our podcast one, it was really cool to see. I'll give you the highlight. Okay. We're in the top 15% podcast in the world. Is that Spotify. just in our category? No, so- that's across everything. Come on. Yeah. And the wow. cool thing is Spotify oh is maybe 10% of our listenership. Google podcast is definitely like 60, 70%. We released 73 episodes this year. We're mm-hmm. probably going to end up like close to 80, 2,300 hours of content we've recorded. And we are listened to in 52 countries, Canada being number one, United States second, the Netherlands three, Australia four and Brazil five. I think the Netherlands is just boss. I think she's <laughs> listening to all. I think so too. <laughs> Couple other cool things. We saw an increase of three hundred nineteen percent on people streaming us. Two hundred ninety four percent increase in hours listen. A hundred ninety one percent increase in listeners and a hundred thirty nine percent of followers. Pretty cool, right? That is very cool. Are we able to see those same stats on different podcast platforms like on Apple? Do they do this? They don't. There's ways you can dig in deeper, but it's not as clean and easy to get as the Spotify rap. Mm -hmm. I I wish we did. But then we also get the results from everyone combined into our platform, which gives us a really good idea of who listens to us and where they listen. 
I'm still shocked that we're around 50% men and women. That's changed over the years. We used to have a lot more men and less women, and it's kind of flipped. Then it flipped again. Right now, we're at the 50-50s. Interesting. Congratulations to us, top 15% podcast in the world. In the world. Uh, just on Spotify, like on Spotify. So obviously right, not at still. Joe Rogan numbers, but for a very niche type of podcast that we talk about a very niche subject, it's, it does really True. well. Shelly, I had yeah. a meeting this morning and I had a client ask me this question. Mm-hmm. How long or how many words should oh. a job ad have? And I wanted to get your perspective on that. That is a debate that I think has gone on for a long time because I remember in the early days of Indeed, they were saying no more than 300 words. And whenever I challenged the Indeed reps to say, how can anybody even gain a basic understanding of what's entailed in this job in 300 words? Unless it's meant to be like a summary and then to see the full job description, you have to click back. But we've come a long way. I've always believed that If you think in terms of who's your ideal job seeker or who's the ideal person for this role, how much information would they need to have? And always assume that they had never heard of you before or never realized that your company would have such a role. The other thing is we need to consider where else you have information about what it's like to work for your company, what benefits you have. If you've got really good information, it doesn't belong on the job ad. It does if you have it nowhere else. And a job seeker would have to dig for days to try and find out, do you pay for benefits? What's your vacation like? I'm finding that job ads are getting more succinct because job seekers will go to other places to get information if they're serious and want to apply. Is that the most convoluted answer ever? Or (laughs) were you just looking for 300 words? Well, there's actually data around it. I found LinkedIn's research after getting the From what year? This was, oh, 2020. So a couple of years back. Okay, yeah, yeah. I still think really relevant. Fair, fair, for sure. Yeah. What they saw, they put in three categories, one to 300 words, 301 to 600, and 601 word plus above. And by far, the one that drove the best results from views to apply rates were the ones with less than 300 words. They drove around 8.5% higher applications. The ones that did the worst were the medium length, which was 301 to 600, were the worst performing. And the ones that were longer than that had a 1% increase over views to applies. If I think about 300 words, it doesn't seem like a lot. We need to take out some of the key things that are in the job description, like a whole bullet list of your daily tasks. Remove that. Highlight what the role is in two to three phrase, and you're fine. This is not the calorie information on the side of like cereal box, right? You don't need all that information. You need to highlight why someone should work there, what are the key components of the role, That's it. That is it. If you can do it really well and well succinct, here are benefits. You get 6% RSP matching. We cover 80% of your dental. Put it in writing and make it really succinct. So the data is showing us 300 words, which is what you said. I wish it was that simple, honestly. I don't think it is. These job descriptions, most of which are multiple pages long, 
and you've got the talent to boil it up to 300 words, then I take my hat off to you. I don't know too many talent acquisition people or recruiters, first of all, have that good of an understanding to take a job description and make a job ad out of it. Never mind, take it down to 300 words. If I could, some tips, if you're going to take a run at this, would be in any job, no matter what the job is, regardless of job family, there's going to be three key things that you spend most of your time on. And if you can figure that out from the job description, that's how you're going to slice this down to 300 words. Do you need to include benefits? Well, it depends on who the company is. If you are a very small company and very unknown, you would need to include that. But if you're a major company, it's kind of table stakes. Do you really need to say all that? If you have the information somewhere else, probably not. I don't Mm -hmm. think that's critical, but you got to put in perspective that people won't go digging in too deep in their initial search. They're going to see the job on a job board. They're going to look at the key highlights of the job. If you were doing marketing for a product, how many ads do you see that are more than 300 words? Like Excellent point. Mm -hmm. Why is this different? Well, because you've got visuals. If you've got a picture of the product, you don't need to describe it, right? Yes. In traditional marketing. You could have visuals in job ads. I know. But we're talking about job ads on job boards, right? Which is words. And how many words? How long should it be? If you had your friend and mine over at Busy Recruiter, they can take the longest job description, put it into pictures, and get some bullet points and icons, and you get the gist of it. You probably already got it down to 300 words. Or less with that. And it's a visual experience. But if you're talking old school job board, post a job description, getting it to 300 words or less, some jobs, I don't think so. If you want quality applicants, you have to put a quality product out. Well, I think a quality product can be less than 300 words, but I get where you're going. Talking about job boards, I yes. do want to jump into our recruitment insights. Okay. So I did get a warning that jobs on Facebook is changing on February 22nd, 2023. The news is they're shutting down. A lot of people are confused by this because they all thought that it shut down January last year, but it actually shut down everywhere else but Canada and the US. And they're finally pulling the plug in Canada. And thank God, because it was such a shitty product. It was the worst experience out there. Good for Facebook realizing we're not very good at this. Let's just cut the cord. And they finally did. Serge, if we go back to some of our early episodes in 2020, when we were talking about Facebook jobs, and I guarantee you, if we go back to some of those early episodes, we predicted that this was going to happen. We did. And we talked about this a lot in 2020. And it quickly became apparent that trying to apply for a job on Facebook for jobs, nobody thought about how are we going to get enough information into the applicant tracking system? And how do we get it to talk to our applicant tracking system? I think we all predicted this demise. You know, and they did a pretty good job of syncing up with the ATS. The challenge they had was you would press apply and it would take your work information that you have on Facebook and 98% of the people didn't even know they had work information or it wasn't updated. As a client, we had an ATS that was synced directly with Facebook jobs. And for a while, 40 to 50% of our applicants were coming from Facebook for jobs. It was driving higher results than we were in Indeed. 
the issue was 98% of the resumes were not resumes. They were just pure garbage. I guess the one good thing that you could do is now you have people applied for a job. So if you're having difficulties, you know their name and you find them on LinkedIn. or Who's got time for that? Yeah. Well, Come on. Well, a good sorcerer, yes. Oh, and how many companies that are posting jobs on Facebook jobs have a sorcerer? A lot of them didn't even know they were posting jobs on Facebook for jobs too, which was interesting. But <laughs> Facebook for jobs is dead. So <laughs> okay. let's just move on. Bye-bye. We need to talk more about it. Yes. So Shelly, last yes. week, I kept sending you messages. I'm like, Shelly, the world of work is going to change dramatically. And I do have the habit of getting overexcited and also being very optimistic with new technology or new things that come out. But I got to say, when I first saw ChatGPT, it blew my mind. And I think it's going to be the biggest disruptor in the world of work. And it's also going to disrupt recruitment, maybe not in the ways we're thinking. So Let's not forget, it's still at the beginning stages, but I think we're finally seeing what the capabilities of AI are going to be, and it's pretty shocking. Let me just give you the highlights of what ChatGPT. So it was released last week. ChatGPT is a chatbot that employs deep learning to produce text that resembles that of a human and is based on the GPT 3.5 language model. OpenAI, which is the one that I've been using, ChatGPT, can respond to numerous questions in a natural way, much like a personal tutor who is well-versed in all subjects. It's been extremely popular. I think there are up to two to three million that have already signed up. If you think about Instagram or Facebook, it's taken them years to get to, well, maybe not Instagram, but Facebook and most other social platforms. It took them years to get to a million users. They did it in their first week. There's so much it can do, but I'll give you some example. It can write code that you can leverage. Think about the capabilities that could help not only software developers in making their code better, or at least giving them an outline of where to start. It writes article outlines, marketing copy, could be used for job ads. I'm still very hesitant on that because it gives you job descriptions and that's not a job ad updates your resume can actually take a job description in your resume and you can ask, hey, ChatGPT, can you create a cover letter that matches my resume and what the job description is? And it does a fantastic job. And saying all of that, imagine the changes that are going to happen. This is going to replace Google. You're actually getting real results, real answers of some of the most complex questions in the world. It can explain in a simple way what quantum computing, how it works. I'm blown away by it. I'm a huge fan, but I'm also very nervous. This could have some very negative effect if it's not harnessed in the right way. Shelly, what's your thoughts? Chat GPT. I want you to talk a little bit more about what your fear is. Because anything can be used for evil in the hands of the wrong person. But where do you see some dangers? Well, there's a couple of things. I can see every article that's written out there being written by ChatGPT. And it does a good job. But there's a je ne sais quoi that is missing in how it's written. 
So I'm nervous people are just going to think, hey, I don't need a copywriter. I don't need a marketer. I'm just going to do this with ChatGPT. And all the content is going to look fairly similar and bland instead of using it as a way to start. I think that's the key. Mm -hmm. I think there's other concerns when you're looking at something this smart. Like I did try how it could be nefarious and it shot me down. And I might get the RCMP showing up in my door, but I asked it, this is really dark. So please, how can you murder someone and get away with it? And it came back, look, that's morally wrong. We can't give you an answer on that. Obviously, there is some guardrails that have been put in place here for it not to go crazy. But still, I think there's a lot of things we don't know about it. And I think that's what's scary for me. Really? Because if someone is looking for information at their fingertips to do something criminal, you can Google anything. So it's interesting that already right out of the gate, chat GPT has put guardrails in about what it will or will not teach you. When I think about how this can be used for learning and for advancement, I think it's fantastic. Is it going to change educational institutions? Yes. And Serge, you've been the first one and probably the loudest advocate that our post-secondary universities and schools really need to change. They do. They need to change how they teach and the speed at which they teach and how much they charge people to get a degree. Because do you need a degree to do this? It depends what the job is, right? Getting an education, getting a job are two different things. But super excited about the potential, super impressed with what it can do so quickly on things that we maybe really didn't see coming. And I know you think it might make homogenize blog posting and writing, or you will quickly be able to see, here's the highlights of what you need to know. And those who need to know more have to go back to the original source and keep researching. Yeah, like this is going to be so fun to watch, to see Ah. how it evolves over time, who uses it, what it's used for, even the things that you've used it for already. Write me a script for a commercial for the podcast and it puts something together. It's an idea starter. Yeah. We'll see where it goes. You nailed it education, that was the first question in my mind, because I got it to write a 3000 word summary of why Canada is the best country in the world. And it did a really good job. Like it's probably a B paper. So how are educational institution going to be able to deal with this? I did find in my research, there's actually programs now that tell you if this was written by a chat GPT tool. ChatGPT is actually saying, this is something to get you started. This should exactly your IDs and everything. They're not pushing back against any type of software that can read that is ChatGPT. But I think this will be the biggest disruptor in this decade, unless Google adapts. Why would you use Google compared to ChatGPT? Because it gives you- I was going to say the same. Right Mm -hmm. away. Without Mm -hmm. having multiple links that you have to read, like, doesn't make a lot of sense. So I think it's going to change education. It's going to change the way software developers work. It's Mm going to change marketing, how they write copy. It's going to affect pretty much every job. I'm getting on this train. If I can leverage it and it makes my job more efficient and I'm better at it, man, I'm in a better position than I was before. So I'm extremely excited about it. 
I do see it replacing or being the next gen past a Google or a Bing or whatever search engine you use. Because when you think about how ridiculous it is that you Google something and it tells you that there are 10 million results for this question, that's stupid. It's the way you asked Google to find something brings you back the results. So this is next gen. Like this has to replace Google because Google's pretty ridiculous sometimes. It forces you to ask the question in the proper way, whereas this takes your natural language, give it enough information, and it will get you the answer. Cool. Well, I'm excited. I think it's going to be something that we're going to keep a very close eye. So Shelly, you know I work at a job board. Yes. And one of the things that I notice a lot is how many applications are now coming through from mobile. But on the flip side, how many companies still using systems or process that are not mobile friendly? Success factor as an ATS. Have you ever tried applying a job as success factors? You can't. You can't. You've got a pinch and squeeze and you can't go back. No. In this research that I found today, 60% of applications are coming from a mobile phone. And this was done by Harvard's, which is an assessment tool. And all the assessments are done on the mobile phone. Then if you look at Indeed's data, 75% of Indeed's job search traffic comes directly from mobile. Mm -hmm. Indeed has been genius in the way they've been doing it. Because if you're posting a job through your ATS that is not mobile friendly and is not synced with the Indeed Quick Apply, they don't show your jobs to mobile users. And when 75% of your job seekers are mobile, you're only getting access to 25% of the actual traffic. Yes. In fact, I think this article goes on to say that 80% of candidates registering for jobs on a mobile device are below the age of 30. That's an important element to consider. But to answer your question, Serge, around why are companies still dragging their feet For mobile, I can't answer that. Even going back to 2012, every single year, the reports were coming out. We saw a greater and greater percentage. It's actually taken longer than I thought it would because going back to 2012, 2013, whether it was Indeed or Workopolis at the time, a lot of the job boards were starting to tell us every single year, hey, job seekers are going to start applying on their phone. And it really wasn't until we saw the huge popularity of smartphones that we started to go, oh, maybe we should have listened. It's the same reason why register before you apply is still a thing. Yeah. I went and did a bit of research on Indeed and different job boards to kind of get an idea of what type of jobs are mobile friendly and which one are not. Then I went back to research that I'd seen a long time ago of who uses mobile. It's very counterintuitive because people that work in tech apply on desktop way more than mobile. Oh, for sure. But the flip side to it is drivers, trades, retail workers, they all apply on their mobile phone. And in most cases, it's the only computer they have. It's the only tool they have. We are completely ignoring a subset of the population that only has a smartphone and that's the only way they can apply. And we're making it very difficult for them. The message here is, we say this all the time, get your CEO to apply for a job, right? To apply for a job from a mobile phone. And if they can't do it, 
you are fucked because you are missing a big part of the population that could actually be applying. So why make it that much harder? Okay. I want to close up with one last recruitment insight. And I don't know if I know anything about it or what it actually means. The Canadian government will outlaw wage fixing and no poaching agreements between employers concerning wages, work conditions, and hiring practices starting in June 2023. I think they're just tightening this up. But what I'm trying to figure out here is this prepping for pay transparency laws because they feel with pay transparency laws companies are going to collude together to not put different wages on the job boards or how they advertise it. Is that a conspiracy theory? Like, am I just thinking out loud and it's crazy? Or do you think this is a reason that they're doubling down on this particular law? I personally know that it happens all the time, whether you call it a gentleman's agreement or handshake agreements where we'll keep our wages pretty much consistent, especially when you're talking about certain markets and certain industries, because you can never roll wages back or rarely. An excellent example would be to look at Fort McMurray. If all the employers agree for a laborer role, nobody is going to pay more than say $22 an hour. That's pretty much standard practice because when it comes to a unionized work environment, that is how you do it. You understand what's been negotiated, all of that's public information. It's not price fixing, but non-union roles, say there's high demand for safety inspectors and all of the employers in that region have this agreement and this is what they're making illegal. It, we can't get together and say the going rate right now is $200 an hour for a safety inspector. We all agree nobody will pay more than 200 That's price fixing. Correct? Correct. Yes. And it happens. It absolutely does. Trying to prove it's a whole nother thing. Well, this law, what they're putting together is going to detract people because the fines and the punishments are really high. You can face imprisonment for up to 14 years or pay an uncapped fine. At the discretion of the court. Discretion of the yes. court. There's been $40 million fines and we might see that ramp up. The sky's the limit, the judge says here. I guess you're right. I don't know if it's happening or not. I've never had a discussion with another company saying we're not going to pay more than your company. But when we talk about pay transparency, the biggest objection that companies have is, well, they're going to see how much I pay. They already (laughs) know. What are you worried? Like, they know what you're paying. Are you crazy? Yeah. But I think next year, and I guess we could talk about this in a prediction show that we would have for 2023, I think pay transparency is going to go across the country. I don't think every province, but we might even see this federally legislated. Shelly, anything new, exciting going on for you? Well, just here at home, Serge, Parker's coming home. Oh, I'm so looking forward to it. I haven't seen him since July. So it is officially the longest period of time that I've not seen my son. So I'm so excited. How long is he coming back for? He's going to stay until January 6th. Oh, when is he arriving? Tomorrow. Oh, exciting. I know. Very exciting. I'm so looking forward to it. What about you? What's happening in your world? Oh, there's... So many fun things with girls and Christmas and they're like Mm -hmm. 
fucking elf on the shelf is driving <laughs> crazy, but that's fine. Oh, speaking of which, if you're not following Lauren Sharp's post on Elf on a Shelf, oh my God. But she I calls can't. them the naughty elves. Yeah, I can't leverage anything that she shared because <laughs> there was glory holes. Tea bagging. I've seen everything. With, obviously, I can't do that. Oh on the note, yeah. a little teabagging, we have <laughs> Chad and Cheese appearing next week uh, as the first episode. I don't believe you said that. <laughs> and we have James Ellis, one of our favorite guests, coming up really yes. shortly. Plus, yes. during Christmas, we are going to re-air our five top episodes of the year. So you'll have plenty of content. I appreciate everyone for listening. Have a great week. Thank you. See you later. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access.